Well, good morning, everyone. How are you? Hey, um, sweet girl, good singing. She was singing right behind me, just belting it out. It was so good. I just like, it was so good. She's one of the Smith kids. This is Brandon Smith and then his wife, Kim Smith, right here. And uh, so thank you all for leading us this morning. Hey, I just want to give a shout out real quick, too. So, so Stevie, Stephen right here, and then Gene, and then Josh, and then Jonathan. Okay, so say real quick. So Stephen and, and, and Josh and Gene. Well, Gene, how old are you? Yeah, so they're all basically college age, right? Do you realize how early they get here almost every Sunday morning to come into play? College students don't get up that early, right? So thank you all, number one, right? Now, so Gene, I'll put him in the other camp too. So you got Jonathan over here who's playing. He has basically a newborn, right? Now, you know how little sleep you get in those days, and so does Gene. So Gene is basically, I mean, he's got this, like, this double thing going, right? He's young, and Jonathan, you're not, I mean, you're young, bro. You don't get that. But anyway, like this whole, yes, this whole thing. So all that, I just want to give a shout-out real quick. I know you, you guys, you come in, and, and I would say this. A lot of times, this is not our church, but a lot of places, people who are sitting out here are consumers of worship. And what that means is when they get done, they go back and say something along the lines that, well, worship was okay this morning. Don't ever say that. Don't become a consumer where you come up here and judge on Sunday morning how anointed or how deep or how great it is. These guys and girls are sacrificing their time to give everything they have. You know what they do? They get up here and guess what they do? They worship Jesus regardless if you're here or not and invite you to follow them. So if it's not good for you one morning, guess whose fault it is? Okay? I'm just giving that shout out real quick because... This worship team, I love them, right? They're just amazing. They've been sacrificing and giving. So, guys, team, thank you all. Thank you all. Thank you all. Thank you all. Y'all need to thank them, too. I expected to see Stephen giving a bow because it's kind of his, that's his MO, but he didn't do it. So, anyway, all right. Um, seriously. Um, well, this morning, let's, just, uh, let's do this real quick. Uh, for our offering this morning, if you, for, let's go ahead and take those baskets, pick them back up, right? This is the time where we're sacrificially in worship, giving back to Jesus what belongs to him, right? My dad and I were just telling stories last night of this, the God's faithfulness that over the years as we give, I may have my dad give his testimony someday, just about how in the season of life, of struggling, God called him to, when he gave his life to Jesus back in 1980, was it, and came to Christ, right? Whew. There's always tears that flow. You talk about your dad. It's kind of a crazy thing. Sorry. Um, <coughs> Hallelujah. Mm, faithfulness, right? My dad just grew up in a home. My dad just being faithful to Jesus and all that he had, right? And so I remember, I remember he said he went to my mom one day. She'd been working at McDonald's for 11 years, the corporate office, right? Corporate office on the, on the, on the computer. Excuse me, on the typewriter. Right, on the typewriter back in the day, typing away, right? And, and God just called and gave his life to Jesus in 1980. God, man. I wasn't planning on going there. And the tears, that's not, I don't cry very often. That's, that's not fake. In case you're I'm trying to like get you all riled up emotionally. That's not, that's not on purpose. So anyway, that happened to my dad. Anyway, so, uh, but in the moment of life, it was this whole season of God saying, Terry, just be faithful to me, faithful to me, right? And so, so he, said, he said, Kathy, I want you to quit your job. We're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to trust God to provide. And, and, he, and at the same time, God said, I want you to begin tithing this, right? Giving 10% of your income, right? Just to this, this body of Christ, body of believers that are investing into you. And so he began to do that. 
And all of a sudden, man, God just began to do crazy things, right? Just blessing and financial. So I want to say to you, just biblically speaking, right? Biblically speaking, if you are faithful, listen to me. Don't tune me as I'm talking about money, right? I just want to tell you, one of the most, the greatest spiritual truths is when you are obedient, God pours himself out. Financially, listen, money is the greatest, listen, money is the greatest idol of this culture, Back in the day in the Old Testament, they had these like idols that literally are like these golden things. Guess what it is today? It's money. Money is the idol. Money is the thing that makes you most uncomfortable. It's the thing that most easily offends you when somebody talks about it. Why? Because Jesus was unafraid to talk about it and unafraid to get direction. It's the second most talked about thing in all of the Bible. And so the idea is not so Jesus can hoard your money and the church can steal it, right? It's so that you just in your obedience to God and an act of love to him, right? God loves a cheerful giver. You're giving to him what belongs to him. And the idea is that when you give, he blesses you, right? He pours himself out in whatever your greatest need is. And so I'm just letting you know the greatest thing that you can do in your relationship with Jesus and the context of your finances the greatest thing you can do in the context of your relationship with Jesus in the area of finances is to give it all away. I joke all the time. I told my dad this story last night. I said, so Dad, I said, do you know how much money I gave away in college? He said, no. I said, well, I don't either, but I know it was well up in the tens of thousands. So just money that I had that God had blessed our family with, with my, well, my, grand, my grandpa sold some stuff and stock, and they gave us gifts, right? I went to college with my grandparents' money, God bless them, right? And so but all, I said, God, I said, Dad, I said, we were going on these mission trips, and I just say, God, who do you want to give to? And I just give thousands of dollars away. He said, he goes, I didn't know you did that. I said, well, I never told anybody. I just told y'all now I've lost my glory in heaven, right, whatever it may be. But it's like, but the idea, you know, you know what God did to me? He gave me a rich wife. She worked for a drug company for over 11 years. Listen, in the last, this is, why am I going into all this? But she made, it's so embarrassing, isn't it? So anyway, anyway, God bless me with that lot. All that to say, this is like family time, right? We're just having a fun conversation. So anyway, all that to say is you are faithful to give. God will meet your needs, okay? And if you, this is you give away financially, there's this amazing thing because what happens, it breaks the idol of money in your life and you're able to be free with it, okay? So I'm just going to say this, give it all away and try to outgive God. And guess what? It never works, right? He always pours himself out, okay? Are you all okay with that? You know, you know me. I'm not trying to manipulate you or anything like that. So anyway, so hey, connect cards. Pass the basket back down. Connect cards. First-time givers. Excuse me, first-time givers. First-time guests. Oh, Lord. Welcome to Vintage. Amen, amen, and amen. Seriously, fill a connect card, put it in the, in the basket, pass it down. I'll shoot you an email this week, and um, it'd be great. All right. Hey, listen, we've been talking the last couple of weeks. I mean, that's a little embarrassing, y'all. Sorry about that. First time guests, don't give anything this week because I'm manipulating you, right? First time givers, right? Anyway, so we've been talking about power for the last couple of weeks. The idea of the power of God flowing in our lives and the power of God moving in us, the power of God moving through us. Talk about being an orange extension cord. We're a conduit for the, the power of the Holy Spirit. We plug into God and His power flows through us and then it's for other people, right? And so think about this, just real quick, think about the people who are in your life. 
Okay? Just think about the name, like kids, your mom, your spouse. Think about all, all those people and people you work with every day of your life. Okay? Think about all of these people. Think about all of these people. Guess what? You are to be a conduit for the power of God moving in their life. You would be the one who comes and prays for them. Remember that, this, that, that, that mother who's walking through Walmart with a screaming kid, and you can just see it on her face. You are a conduit of the Holy Spirit to just let her know it's going to be okay and to pray for her, right? You are the one through whom the power of God moves. We said it the last several weeks, right? We've been building this foundation. So the two primary things that you have, that have to happen in your life is you have to embrace a level of humility. God's power does not move through people who don't prefer others. God's power does not move through people who don't embrace humility and consider others better than themselves. God opposes the proud and the selfish and gives grace to the humble, pours out power to the humble, those who live preferring other people. So the second thing that God's looking for is those who have embraced this godly, agape love, this selfless, sacrificial giving away of love with the expectation of what in return? Absolutely nothing. Right? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and laid down his life for it. Guess what he got in return? Nothing. Right? He laid it down for just in the sense of really nothing. Right? All these people live every day denying him. But he died anyway. Why? Agape, selfless, selfless, sacrificial love with the expectation of nothing in return. And the idea then is that power flows through people like that who embrace humility who had this real godly love. Because what you know, real godly love, what does it automatically do? It causes service to arise in you because I love you so much, I can't help but come alongside and bless you and be a part of your life. And I can't help but help you because I just want to serve. And when we all of a sudden give our way, give ourselves away sacrificially, guess what happens? His power all of a sudden flows through us. And so I said to you, and I'll say it again, If the power of God is not moving through you, the first place to check is a level of humility in your life and the selfless, sacrificial, agape love. Because let me tell you something. When you embrace godly love, right, and when you choose, you choose by a conscious decision of your will to choose humility, guess what happens? God's power can't help but flow through you. It's like, he's just like, get out of the way because here it comes. Grace in Jesus' name. That's what we're looking for, right? You want to make a difference in the life of your kids, in the life of your parents, in the life of your friends, in the life of your neighbors and the people that you work with. You want your life to make a difference. You want people to look at you and go, what is it about you? Why are you different? And you say, because I just love you. That's weird. I know. Let me tell you about why. His name is Jesus. All right, let's pray. Just kidding. All right. So, <clears throat> all right. 
So um, several, you know, a lot of you know, I, I, I go to India about, I don't know, every other year for the last 11 years. A real heart and passion for, at least for Karube Home and for Tammy, our supportive missionary in India. I uh, love the nations in general. And so I'll never forget one of the very first times I was in India. We, uh, we were, you know, we were laying there in the middle of the night and, and I'm dead asleep and all of a sudden I feel something on my temple and start making its way down towards my cheek, right? And you ever had that? You're kind of, you're like half awake, half asleep and all of a sudden you're like, ah! You kind of, cause you're like thinking, what is that, right? And I wake up to sweat, right? It's beaded up onto my forehead, coming down my, my, side of my head, down my cheek and hitting my pillow. And all of a sudden I look up and I realize my fan's not on. Now, anyone knows that when it's 95 degrees outside in the middle of the night in India, and you have no AC, what you do is you turn your fan on, right? And you open your windows with the mosquito nets, right? Because there's a billion mosquitoes outside and about a thousand inside, right? So the, so the, the fan has these dual, these like many, many, these myriad of purposes, right? Number one, it kind of keeps you cooler a little bit, right? Number two, it keeps the mosquitoes from landing on top of you. So you turn your fan on as fast as it will go, right? Because I literally woke up one morning with like 45 mosquito bites on this hand because it fell out beneath my covers in the middle of the night, right? And so it's like you leave your fan on, right? You And, and, and the great thing about it is it's, it's called a noise reducer, right? Because outside, for some reason, at 3.30 in the morning, people like to ride their bikes and go, bring, bring on their bikes. I don't understand why they do that in India, but they do it, and, right? And you can hear every footstep walking down the street, clump, clump, and I'm like, why are they walking at 3.30 in the morning, right? And so I do what every good charismatic Christian does. I say, in the name of Jesus. Because <laughs> what had happened was this. The power had turned off. I thought, my, I thought it was my, I thought it was my, my, uh, my little sleep, my, my bunk mate, whatever it was, right? Thought I'd turn the fan off. I look and there's no lights. And I all of a sudden I realize the power is turned off. So I sit there and go, in the name of Jesus, I command the power to come on, right? Literally, in the name of Jesus, power now, right? Let there be light. I do the whole Genesis thing, right? And it's like figuring out what I can do, right? This whole thing and. And I'm sitting there, right? now, and, and all of a sudden, in the moment, what I'm hyper aware of is the absence of power, right? I'm, I'm aware of the absence of power here, turning my fan on, cooling me off, and helping me in my life, right? I, and keeping me, and helping me sleep. I, I'm super aware of the absence of power. But as I look back at that, and I think about life, I think about how many people, how many Christians I know even, who live their life every day with an absence of power and don't even know it. They live every day just doing life, going through the, the, the motions, living defeated in all that they do, right? Just hoping the day, right? Living in this place of defeat, recognize, not completely unaware that there's actually an absence of the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. And I want to say this morning that there is not an absence of Jesus, who is the source of our power. So if you your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy 1, verses 5 through 7. It's a very familiar verse. You've probably all heard this. You've probably all used it. You've probably all quoted it, right? We've shared it with our girls when they're sleeping at night, right? 2 Timothy 1, starting in verse 5, says this. Paul speaking, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, Timothy, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in, and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. 
For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline or a sound mind, depending on what version you read it from. So Paul is speaking in the moment, right? Speaking to Timothy. Timothy is like a, like a child of his, right? He, Paul's a spiritual father of his. And so, so Paul is speaking into the life of his child here. And in the, in the, the verses following this, he kind of gives the context of why he just said what he said about having faith and about having the spirit of power, love, and of a sound mind. He names three things in his own life, in Paul's own life. Paul names three things in his own life that he wants Timothy to see. The first thing is this, suffering. First thing he sees is suffering, suffering for the sake of Christ. He says in verse 12, that is why I'm suffer- that's why I'm suffering as I am. Why is that? Because he is preaching the name of Jesus as having been raised from the dead and is the only pathway to get to God. Paul is preaching, Jesus died, he was raised from the dead, and he is the only way to get to heaven and to be in relationship with Father God. And people think that he is crazy, and he literally, we see, just suffers again and again and again for, for the sake of Christ. Second thing we see is desertion. Not desert, right? Not desert in motion. It's desertion, as in his companions have deserted him. It says in verse 15, he says, You know that everyone, everyone's a lot of people, everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Figilus and Hermogenes. Literally in the moment, right? He, wait, he goes to bed one night with his buddy sitting right here on his team, right? They're supporting him, they're encouraging him, like, good job. And he goes to sleep and says, we're out of here. He wakes up all by himself. Listen, there is nothing more isolating, makes you feel alone, than being by yourself in a foreign land with everyone who you thought was with you now opposed to you and gone. He's facing desertion, right? Third thing he's facing literally is imprisonment. Verse 9 says he suffers hardship, including imprisonment, as a criminal. And he knew, and Timothy both knew, that most of the time this, this imprisonment as a criminal was leading to death for him. And so Paul is coming into the moment, writing Timothy, right? And he's not necessarily writing to Timothy, calling him timid. Hear that. He's not necessarily calling him timid or as one who, who is overcome by fear. Instead, what I think he's simply saying is, listen, Timothy, I recognize that we're on the same path, right? I see the path that you're on. I see the faith in your life like I have. And I want to go ahead and tell you, don't. He says, listen, I face these things and I've had to face fear face to face, right? I've had to face fear Face to face. It's been in my eyes. It's been right here. It's sitting right there. And I want to, I want to be paralyzed, right? I want to sit here and do nothing, but I want to tell you I'm suffering these and I work through them. And the thing that I learned in this, right, is I haven't been given a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. So I want to go ahead and tell you, you're on my journey, right? You are, you are on my journey. He's on the same path that Timothy is on. Just ahead of him. So the first thing I want you to see this morning is this. Paul identifies with Timothy, right? Paul identifies with Timothy. This is important. In verse 7, Paul links himself to Timothy by saying this. For God did not give us 
a spirit of fear. You've got to remember, when, when Paul first wrote this, he was only writing it to one person. He wasn't writing it for you. He doesn't know you, right? He wasn't writing to Vintage 242 Church. He was writing to one person whose name was Timothy as a letter of encouragement, a letter from a father, spiritual father to a spiritual son. And he looks at him and says, so I want to identify myself with you. I want you to know we're in the same boat here, right? God did not give us a spirit of fear. This writing is a, as much about Timothy's future and the steps that are coming for him of, of hardship and, and fear and, and, and being overwhelmed, right? All of these things that are going on, right? suffering and desertion and imprisonment. Basically, Paul's saying, listen, we're on the same journey. And just as I've already faced difficulties, so too are you. Because every single Christian is hated by the enemy. And the enemy wants to prowl about and destroy him. Or her. And so I want you to know, if you're going to stay on my path, it's going to be a nightmare. But don't worry. Do not fear, for the Spirit of God is upon you and in you. Right? Coming and naming this whole idea of, of even though Timothy is facing these weighty things, just as Paul did, he's not given him a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. And of a sound mind. When he comes in the moment, he's, he, he, he basically is speaking to him this way. It's not this preventative, excuse me, it's a, the, the appeal he's making to, to Timothy is preventative and not corrective. And that Timothy is not literally walking in fear. What he's saying is, listen, you've already been, I see that you have this gift of faith in you, right? Uh, it, you, your, your grandmother had it, your mama had it, and now you got it, right? So I want to go ahead and let you know you have this gift of faith. You've got to fan it into flame. You've got to fan it. What he's saying is you already have this gift of faith that's white hot in you, right? You've been fanning it. You've been walking in it. You've been walking the path. But I want to tell you, things are going to come. You're going to have to keep on fanning that every day of your life. You have faith. You believe God, you trust God, it's fanning every day. Listen, when we talk about the, the gift of faith in us, hear this real quick. Every single one of us in this room who are followers of Jesus have a level of faith. We, we have a conviction of who God is. When I say I have faith in God, what I'm saying is I trust him, I believe him, and I will follow him every day of my life. That's what, that's what faith is. Simply put, is I believe in him, I believe, I believe in him, and I believe him. I trust him. And I will follow him no matter the circumstances of my life. And so he looks at Timothy and says, I see your faith. I see how you've been walking the journey. And you believe in God. That's great. You believe him when he says things. You trust him every moment of your life. And you are following him. I see that you're doing that. So keep it up. Fan it into flame. Keep it up, right? Continue to believe in him. Continue to believe him. Continue to trust him. And express that by continuing to follow him. And so he's telling them, right? So therefore, since you have this faith, this faith in God, you know that you have the spirit of God in you. The spirit that does not fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. 
So, second thing I want you to recognize, the power that Paul is talking about in verse 7. He says this, we have, we have not been given a spirit of fear, right? We have, not, we have not been given a spirit of fear. You know what fear is. You've all experienced it. What does fear do? It immobilizes you, doesn't it? It paralyzes you in life. It keeps you from moving forward. You go, oh, right? You come up. Remember when you were a kid, you walked up. We talked about it before here. Walk up to the basement. It's dark. It's dark. And then what do you do? You stop. And you look. You look back at mom. Look back. Look back at mom. Like, you're going to come because I ain't going down there by myself, right? Everybody knows I'm paralyzed by fear. How many of you literally, I mean, I remember, I remember being in my bed as a kid and, right, waking up in the middle of the night and just paralyzed because there was something in my room that really wasn't, right? But you're just paralyzed in the moment, right? You're completely immobilized and you want to cry out. What do you do? You go, Mom. And you will, ah! you just got to work it up, right, because you're so paralyzed. You're so immobilized by fear. It literally hinders you from moving forward. It completely shuts you down because it's a fear. It's the power of fear. It's the spirit of fear in our lives, right? But Paul comes and says, listen, we have not been given the spirit of fear, but of power. This power, right? Gordon MacDonald has said this about power. He says power is unlimited strength. Unlimited. Limited strength that is at, our, is at our disposal. Through the enabling of the Holy Spirit, the believer can serve valiantly, endure patiently, suffer triumphantly, and if need be, die gloriously. Read that again. Unlimited. What is power? What is godly power? It's unlimited strength that is at our disposal. It's already there. It's already present. Through the enabling of the Holy Spirit, the believer can serve valiantly in every area of their life, right? Can endure patiently. Can suffer triumphantly. And if need be, to die gloriously. See, Paul's understanding, which he wants to convey to Timothy, is the idea that that Timothy, and I would say even all believers have the God-given and inherent ability necessary for meeting difficulties in our life. And we already have in us, right, this is the power to, to fulfill the service that God has given to us. God, listen, God never commands us to do what he does not also enable us to complete. He does not ever call us to do something that we don't have the, the power to fulfill, right? His power is in us, right? This idea been given by the, this whole, did not give us a spirit of fear, of timidity, but of power and of love and of sound mind. He did not give us a spirit of fear that paralyzes us. We don't have to live paralyzed by decisions or steps that we're taking in life. Situations of life never have to immobilize us ever. Why? Because the Spirit is always present. If you are immobilized in life, if you're immobilized in life, if you're paralyzed in life, then what you can know is right then and there you're not trusting what's already present in your life, which is the power of God. It's present. It's for us to engage and walk into. So, practically speaking, right, practically speaking, in our lives, there are situations that come up. 
whether it's literally something like sitting at Walmart and there's a person in front of us and God saying, I want you to go pray for them, and you're paralyzed by the fear of failure, right? Or you're sitting in life and you're struggling financially, and God, and you feel God really wooing you and calling you to take this, this, this step of faith to trust him, whatever it may be, and paralyzes us. God calls us to, to, to do something in life, right? There's something that we just feel the stirring inside of us to take these steps. We've sought what, this wise counsel from those around us, and they're like, hey, if you feel God calling this direction, then do it, whatever it may be, and we're struggling. All of a sudden, there's just this paralyzing nature of life. God calls us all the time to take these steps of faith, to trust him in the midst of suffering, to trust him in the midst of desertion, to trust him in the midst of all these difficult places of life. And we're sitting there struggling and wrestling. What I want you to take away this morning is this. If Second Timothy is true, if we now have not the spirit of fear, but if we have the resources, hear that, God's resources, he's given them to us of power and of love and of a sound mind, then when we are vacillating, when we are apprehensive, when we, listen, when we are vacillating, oh, what should I do, right? When we are apprehensive about the steps that we should take, we can be sure it's because our focus is on ourselves and our focus is on our own human resources. Hear that again. If we are vacillating and if we are apprehensive in these steps we're taking, we can be sure because our focus is on ourselves and our own human resources rather than on the Lord and his available divine resources. If we live apprehensive to take steps we feel God calling us to take, then guess who we're looking at? Ourselves and not Jesus. I mean, listen, I... My daughters, they are exact opposite of one another in so many ways, right? I mean, they're both real cute, right? But personalities, they're very, very different. And by nature, Anna Catherine, like, out of the womb, trusted me. I mean, like, literally, I remember one day I said she was, like, up the stairs, like, five, I don't know how, I mean, she was young enough where a defect should have come for me doing this, right? But I'll never forget looking at her and saying, just jump, babe. She's, like, five or six stairs up, and she's, like, okay. She's, like, eh, and she just left. We're talking, like, jumped out, right? And I'm, like, oh. Oh, she did it. <laughs> and I catch her and she's like, do it again, do it again. And right, I sent her back up. I remember going to my dad's house at Christmas here and said, watch this. And, you know, my, 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 my stepmom, she's just fearful by nature. I remember I said, Anna Kathy, go up the stairs and jump. She's like, no, no. I said, trust me, right? I'm dad. I'll catch her. So Anna Kathy goes up and she just launches out, right? That is, she just jumps out and I catch her, right? Whenever we went to the pool, I mean, she just jumped from anywhere and expect me to catch her. I turn around, she go, daddy. And I turn around, she'd be in midair, right? I'm like, stop doing that one, right? You know, and I just catch her. But now Sarah, on the other hand, is completely different, right? Sarah, we go to the pool, and I'd say, Anna Catherine, jump, and she'd already be in the air, and I'm saying, Anna Catherine, you know, she'd just jump. She'd swim out, and there'd be Sarah at the edge of the pool. I'd say, Sarah, just jump. She's like, I said, just trust me, baby. She's like, and I could just see, she's like, I could see that mind spinning of like, well, what if it doesn't catch me? What am I going to do, all right? And so, so she, and all of a sudden, so about time, she's sitting there just processing. And what happens? Anna Catherine comes back, pushes her out of the way, and jumps again, right? And I send her on her way, all right? And Sarah's still sitting there contemplating. And so finally, 
She gets up the, the nerve to jump in, and she doesn't, she doesn't launch. She does like the whole, like, just like the stepping and falling, right? Kind of like that, uh, and just kind of lunges instead of jumping, right? It's this whole funny thing, and because they're completely different, right? Because Sarah's, Anna Catherine is trusting me completely, right? She is focused on me. She knows that she can trust me. Why? Because I'll catch her, right? I will be there for her. Certainly, the other hand's going, mm. What can I do to make sure I don't get hurt? How do I do this most easily, this most easy for me? How do I, because I trust myself the most. And Paul looks at Timothy and says, son, you have the gift of faith. It's the only thing that will get you through to the end. If you trust me, you believe me, you follow me, and that all begins by knowing Jesus, right? If you trust God, you believe God, you follow God, right? It's all this dynamic. And he's saying, the gift of faith is in you. Therefore, do not be overcome by a spirit of fear. Because you already have the divine resources of power, godly power, and of agape love, to love the unlovable, right? And of a sound mind or self-discipline. This is the nature of his message. The question for you this morning is simple. How are you doing at expressing God's power? his love, and his sound mind in your life. The question is, what stories, listen, what stories do you have to tell from this week of moving in God's power and his love and his sound mind? What stories do you have even to tell from this month of taking that leap of faith and obedience to God to do something that's way outside of your comfort zone? Do you have stories to tell? We should have stories to tell. Not stories from last year, but stories from now of us every day expressing this agape love of God to people, expressing the power of God in us and through us. See, I woke up that morning in India dripping with sweat. I could hear everything around me, and I was aware of the absence of power. Are you aware in your life of the absence of power? Or do you live every day without it, never knowing it's not there in the first place? Bring the lights down low. It's time, story time with Steve. I'm going to read this to you all. Story time with Steve. We've done this before. Close this, get in a good posture. I'm just, going to, I'm just going to read this from a guy by the name of Vance Havner. Vance was a contemporary of Billy Graham and a traveling revivalist in the Southern Baptist tradition. And he's about 25. He wrote about getting filled with the Holy Spirit and having power for ministry. He said this. Everybody listen. Wake up. If your husband's asleep, ladies, I'll give you permission to hit him. Let's read this. He says this. We are seeing much today of service without the Spirit. There is an appalling ignorance of the person and work of the Holy Spirit in our great church bodies today. It is, not as what it, it is not what is done for God that counts, but rather what is done by Him. The work of His Spirit 
through our yielded wills. Programs, propaganda, pep, personnel, these are not enough. There must be power. God's work must be done by God's people, God's way. He goes on to say, the Quakers got their name from the fact they trembled under the power of the Spirit. At least their faith shook them. Too many of us today are shaky about what we, about what we believe, but not shaken by what we do believe about God. Too many people assemble at God's house who don't really believe in the power of God. Having begun in the Spirit, we then live in the flesh, in our own power, right? Never has the church had more power lines stretched across the, the world with less power in it. All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. Sad to say, we seem not even to know that we have not the Spirit in power. If He ceased His work, many church members would never know the difference. Like Samson, we know not that he has departed, but we keep shaking ourselves in the prescribed calisthenics. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, and only, only when we see them so, and we tear and rend our garments, can we be clad in his righteousness alone to stand faultless before the throne. And not only that, but the believer, every follower of Jesus who would live and work in the power of God must rend or tear the garments of self-sufficiency and tear up the vestments of the flesh if he or she is to go clothed in the Lord. God will not drop the mantle of a spirit around dirty raiment or dirty people in our own goodness. We must rend our own clothes or tear our own clothes if we wear the garment of God. Walking in the Spirit is exactly what the name means. Not taking a step or a stand to pose like statues on the rock of a Bible truth, but living day by day in the name of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Is there an absence of power? Then check your humility. Check your godly love. Check your faith. To see if you're trusting God and jumping into his arms and the areas he's calling you to be obedient into in. Or are you trusting yourself, just figuring out how you can control the situation, ultimately trying to control God in your life. Every day of our life, God is saying, I'm just wanting a people that I can move in and move through because there's a dying world in need of them. He raised up Jesus, he raised up the disciples, and he sent them to in faith to believe him for things that seemingly are unbelievable. And he did it through them. What is God calling you to believe him for today? What is he calling you to exercise in faith? What is he calling you to pray into and to believe him for? And where is he calling you to go that you put your hand up and said, I'm in control of my life. I will go where I will. What does that look like for you? What are the stories you have to tell of God moving in power in you and moving in power through you this week? Because he wants to give 
stories of your faithfulness and being obedient to him and then watching him move in power in your home, in your neighborhood, and in your office, in the workplace. Let's pray. Father, we bless you. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. In our, in our moments, God, of struggling with faith, we praise you that you are faithful. And Father, this morning we, we stand in this place and we just say, Jesus, help us in our places of weakness. Father, help us in our place of faithlessness. Father, we praise you that you've already given us faith. We praise you, Father, that you've already, that you've already come, given us the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. It's simply grabbing hold of that which we already possess. This morning, Lord, we said, come, as you promised. That's what I'm praying, that you would peel back that reality of who we already are in Christ, of who you already are in us and what you're doing in us. That we may, be, that we may realize that we are already more than conquerors through Christ who gives us strength to endure and to walk by the fan this, this flame into even greater flame, Lord. Jesus, we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, this morning, uh, as, we, as we always do, if you need to leave this morning, we are officially done. You're more than welcome to, to go. Just don't forget to sign up for all the things we need you to sign up for uh, out on that table right there. If you'd like to stay, we have ministry teams available. These teams will be, literally, they'll be praying for you, for anything that you have need of. We encourage you to come and just let them pray for you. If there's specifically areas of healing that you're in need of this morning, we want to believe God for just a spirit moving and, and loving on his children by bringing healing this morning. 